I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 99. This week's episode features Lee Ann Hilbert the network coordinator for the Carolina Textile District, an enterprise of the industrial commons. Growing up in a textile region in southwestern Virginia, Leanne saw factories close and thousands of people laid off, including her mother. After witnessing the positive impact that the TIC and the CTD could have in the region, both for owners and workers, she jumped on the opportunity to work there. Lee also opened the Dry Goods Studio, a community-driven mixed-use studio space in the heart of West Asheville, where she sells her canvas and leather bags and accessories. She is also the director of design and development at SoCo, which also happens to be one of the Carolina Textile District's members as well. And we are excited to have her on the podcast this week. Hello, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background? Sure. Um, Well, my name is Lee Hilbert, and uh, currently I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Um. I was born in Virginia. I'm not going to tell you a full life story, but I think the beginnings do kind of relate interestingly to what I do now. Um, I was kind of born in a textile town. Um, The town was built on the New River for textiles. That's the only reason the town was built. And uh, my mother was an industrial nurse. So I spent a lot of time in factories growing up. She was always in factories. And I spent a lot of time there and worked there in my summers and uh promise I would probably never be in a factory again. So it's interesting that I'm doing this work that I'm doing now with the Carolina Textile District. Um, you know, my there was a lot of sewing in my family, a lot of quilters, a lot of making garments. I learned how to sew when I was really young. Um, instead of being in the industrial side of it, however, I kind of went in a more art direction. And I did a lot of costuming and art. I studied fine arts. And then I moved out west and I worked for um, some different kind of craftspeople. I worked for some leather workers. Uh, I worked for some costume studios and did a lot of design um, and development, also garment construction and a lot of crafts um, in the costume world for um, UC Berkeley among one. Um, and then I had kids and I kind of moved back towards Virginia, which is where both my husband and I are from. So we kind of ended up in Asheville because Asheville is a, you know, it has a arts community and it has good food and it's got mountains. So um, we ended up in Asheville and I kind of started my own business. I had a, a bag, um, I'm making a lot of bags, selling online and garments as well. And I have a shared studio space here in Asheville still um, that I sew out of, but I also rent out to a few other people. So we kind of had a little shared workspace right in West Asheville. So it's kind of, I have two kids and uh, yeah, you know, it's full. Life is full. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you begin working with Carolina Textile District specifically? 
Yeah, so um, at some point uh, after having my own business, I realized it was pretty tough doing it all on my own. And I kind of joined forces with a friend of mine who already had a cut and sew. So Western Carolina Sewing Company, uh, Libby O'Brien owns that. And she was a friend of mine. And I kind of came on to help her um, for a little while do her production management of her uh, contract cut and sew. And and uh, I ended up staying. So I still work there part time. And so SoCo is a member of the Carolina Textile District, which I can tell you a little bit more about in a minute. But um, SoCo is a member. And so I would see Libby kind of, um, you know, working with the Carolina Textile District a lot, going to meetings. And I started going to some of the meetings with her. And I just really loved what the organization was trying to do and the way it was really focused on not just um, manufacturers and the people that own own companies, but also the workers, like creating good jobs and really kind of redefining what the textile industry can look like, especially in North Carolina and especially in the South. Um, there's a pretty negative view, I think, of it, or it has been in the past, and people don't really see what a, you know, the modern view of it. So I feel like the CTD has really been working on that, and I love that. So um, I basically came on and started working with the CTD when Libby um, Libby kind of joined them as well to to oversee um, an organization called Collection, which we could talk about too. It's um, it's a little confusing because there's a bunch of different little branches of a family <laughs> under this big umbrella called the Industrial Commons. Um, so that's the kind of nonprofit. And then there's lots of enterprises underneath that umbrella. The Carolina Textile District is one. And then um, Collection, which is our um, a brand, a shared brand, is under as well, as well as a few other things. Uh, Material Return is a recycling program, um, textile waste specifically in Morganton. So there's a few others. Um, but the Carolina Textile District is the one that I came on, and I kind of managed the member side of it. And then um, Tanya Wade, who works at Manufacturing Solutions Center and also with the CTD, she kind of manages the client interface. We kind of have two sides of it, and we're growing, actually. We're doing even more in the community, but those are the um, two main things that we do in the CTD. Can you kind of explain to our listeners what the Carolina Textile District is and what kind of work your organization does? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a pretty cool organization in that we we really serve a lot of different members of the community. So um, there's two different, the main two sides are we serve clients. So this would be kind of young companies, um, companies that let's say somebody, we have kind of some different sides of it, but one would be somebody like me, maybe somebody who had been selling things on Etsy, had been making them, you know, making it themselves or, or having home sewers make things for them and then selling them online. Um, so companies like that or companies that maybe, have never made anything in their life, but they have this really good idea. Maybe they're in the medical world and they see that there's a need somewhere. So, so the CTD kind of offers classes and workshops to help those people um, kind of honestly get in kind of into a manufacturing mindset because it's, it's really different to go from being a maker on your own to, to manufacturing. And so there's 
knowledge, there's some language, there's just some protocols. It's kind of a little bit of a reality check. <laughs> Honestly, you know, somebody could come to a factory and say, hey, could you guys, I want this made and I want it made in two weeks and I want to pay $3 each. The CTD's classes, specifically the Sewn Goods class 101, is a class that a client could take. And um, and it would basically, it's kind of, um, um, this is the way things actually work. Like it could take months for you to get product development just because there's a lot of back and forth. And it can take a few weeks to get your supply chain figured out. But um, But the CTD is an organization that can help really make it transparent. That's been kind of a shift in the textile world in the last, you know, decade, I would say, but even more so in the last few years of of really kind of creating this um, collaborative effort and this network. That's really what the CTD is doing between manufacturers and clients. And, you know, if I'm a cut and sew and I can't take on your project, I might share it with someone else in the CTD. And we share a lot of clients, um, which works for everyone, including the clients. So it's kind of a transparency um, model that we're trying to build. Um, so that's one side, the client. So there's webinars, there's workshops, classes. There's also just a find a fit. So you could call Tanya. Tanya is the kind of the client side. You could call Tanya, set up an appointment with her, and she could listen to, you know, let's say you want to make a bag and it's leather. She could send you to the correct cut and sew for that without you having to, like, go to the website to, to research to try to call people. Because, honestly, um, a lot of the, the cut and sews are hard to get a hold of on purpose. <laughs> they kind of want to make it so it's kind of like a vetting process. You know, honestly, if you can get them, um, then it's uh, it shows that you really care. So if you go through the CTD, Tanya can handle all that and take care of you and also give the client information that they need to go to talk to manufacturers. Um, so so Tanya kind of does that webinars, I think I just said. So that's kind of the, the client side. And then we have the network side, which is what I manage. I'm the network coordinator for the CTD. And so I'm more on the side of the manufacturers. And what that means, well, it's a member-governed and driven network. Um, and these are all textile manufacturers in North and South Carolina right now. Um, and we're all just kind of working together to create this new dynamic textile industry in our region. And the main thing is that it's values aligned and that's, you know, it's kind of val valuing the worker, the environment and the community around it. Um, so it's not um, it's not just a single let's make money, let's grow, let's make 10,000 T-shirts in one go. It's more. Um, how do we support our workers? How do we pay living wage? How do we, you know, if we can't recycle everything, how are we, you know, upcycling, like making products from our clients' waste? So all these factories in our network and the CTD, um, we're trying to encourage that and try to bring in partners that are doing those things, you know, that values aligned um, commitment to the area and to the textile industry in general. Um, and then also we've kind of been doing recently is kind of even more kind of community work. And we have started an industrial sewing program, which we're really excited about. That's been in collaboration with community colleges um, in Western North Carolina. And so a lot of problems that the cut and sews have been having is uh, finding skilled labor. You know, it's a thing that is aging out. 
And it's really hard to find young people that want to come in. So because of the kind of like preconceived notions of textiles and, um, and this old, this old idea of what textiles were in North Carolina. So we're kind of trying to bring in new people, train them, say, Hey, this is a job where you'll get respect and you'll get paid a living wage and it's creative. You'll be working with your hands. You know, you'll be in a community of people that it's a fun workplace. It's not just, um, you know, sweatshops, <laughs> which right. is kind of the idea that goes along with textiles, especially in the South. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's really that those are kind of the, the main um, areas we service in this area, you know, the client, the manufacturers, and then the community. Did that answer that? Did that make sense? Yeah, it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Um, I'm actually... Okay. I'm thinking about what you were saying earlier about people kind of having preconceived notions about working within the textile and garment industry. Can you give us a brief history of the Carolina textile district? Like when was it founded and sort of what role textile production and garment making made in the Carolinas um, throughout history? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Well, the Carolina Textile District specifically was started in 2013, um, 2013, and it was started by um, Sarah Chester, who was part of Work in Burke and is, you know, from Burke County, and then Molly Hemstreet, who was also from Morganton from that area. Molly Hemstreet was the founder of Opportunity Threads, which is a worker-owned cooperative, sewing cooperative in Morganton, and then Dan St. Louis who is the founder of um, Manufacturing Solution Center, which is in Conover, North Carolina. And the three of these guys were just started to see this need. You know, everyone was kind of, um, people were looking for sewing again. They were looking for production sewing. A lot of stuff was coming back from overseas. You know, um, I think that everybody's heard about NAFTA. And as far as what it did to the sewing industry in the 90s, you know, in North Carolina, um, for years, because of its climate, you know, North Carolina has a great climate for growing cotton. And then Western North Carolina, the Carolinas in general, had a workforce. And so a lot of the sewing and textiles came down from the Northeast. Um, like in the 1800s, late 1700s, it started to move down to the South because, I mean, I know one reason was there were some tax incentives that if you produced everything in the same state so you if you could do your growing and your weaving your spinning and your um your sewing in one state then you can i think there was some tax breaks for big companies and so that's one reason north carolina became this kind of hub there was also this history of furniture production which tied in really well with textiles as far as you know upholstered furniture so they kind of grew together and morganton and north carolina and general high point you know it's still a huge furniture has a huge furniture industry, which is really tied into upholstery and fabric as well. So those kind of grew together. Um, but if you think about something like t-shirts, which is just like something, and t-shirts and underwear, that was kind of what my mom, the factories that were in southwestern Virginia, which is really similar to the Carolinas as far as what they were making, you know, there were huge factories making thousands and thousands of socks, underwear, and t-shirts. Um, pre-NAFTA and then NAFTA was signed and a lot of those companies were drastically altered. They would go from thousands of employees to, to a hundred employees 
within a year sometimes. I mean, it was pretty drastic um, how fast things left the U.S. Um, so a lot of companies shut down. But, um, you know, kind of recently, like around 213, even before then, companies started to realize that working overseas was like, it gets pricey and you have to order giant amounts of things and you have to order, um, you have to pay for freight. You know, there's just a lot of cost included that, you know, maybe the con consumer doesn't see in the end. Um, and so a lot of the production, people started looking domestically again. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, and so, so they started to see this in Morganton because of the rich, you know, that the, the industry that was there already. And, that, and some businesses lasted, like there were some businesses, a lot of businesses closed down, but a lot of businesses were able to see it through. And a lot of that has been because of changing, you know, changing what they were making, how they were making it, really seeing um, like where the niche was of what they could produce. Um, to do things kind of in smaller scales for people so that um, the minimums got smaller. You know, a lot of times back in the day, minimums as far as what a company had to order from a cut and so would be in the thousands. And now, you know, companies shifted to the hundreds to make it easier for, for them to get orders and and then also just making kind of a, just a better crafted product, honestly, kind of if you think about quality versus quantity, um, trying to really focus on maybe it's really nicely um, woven materials that cost a lot to produce. And then so the cut and sew needs to be nicer. You know, it needs to have more detail, more detailed finishes. So I think companies were able to adjust and, and kind of just be nimble. And it's hard to do that with overseas production sometimes just because of the communication and the distance. So um, they were seeing this need for kind of this uh, a hub. And so that's what the CTD provided, at least in the Carolinas. That's what we're trying to do is just provide this hub of communication uh, between the clients and the manufacturers, but also between, again, like the manufacturers with other manufacturers just to create this transparent um, communication chain and also referrals, but also, hey, you know, I have this machine and it's not working. Do you have a mechanic? Can you, you know, could we share? Could you send them to my factory? And that's been amazing to start to have that kind of um, uh, collaboration within these different textile manufacturers. But um, yeah, as a Carolina, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in North Carolina in general. Also, technology, like I mentioned, Dan St. Louis at Manufacturing Solutions Center. They do testing, they do product, um, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world will send things to Dan for testing. So there's a lot of high tech things happening there. There's also an incubator within within Manufacturing Solution, Solution Center. And there's some companies doing amazing work. It's very high tech. It's very um, skilled work. It's very technologically advanced, what they're doing at Manufacturing Solution Center. So um, having him part of the CTD is amazing. And he's just, he is also an industry veteran. He's been here for years. And so the three working together to kind of create the CTD, it was a really rounded um, trio to actually bring a lot of skills to the table, a lot of different um, assets to kind of get the CTD started. And yeah, and now we're just excited. We're growing kind of really fast right now. We're about to move into some new programs, some new online programming, which is new for us. We just want to try to help, you know, as many as many people as we can. And we're finding that we have workshops that are in 
North Carolina that, you know, a lot of people can't travel to and because of expense. And so we really want to get it out to people. Um, so we're working on some, some web versions of classes um, and some online and some ways that we can get information out in the world a little more, a little easier. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. And it's, it's really interesting. I've never heard anyone describe sort of the rise and fall of the textile manufacturing industry in the way that you just did, because usually, um, or most conversations are kind of centered around the fact that textile production, garment production was all sent overseas, and then things are packaged and then sent back to the U.S., but it kind of feels like you're pointing to um, the fact that when things, when I guess the people making these orders started to look at the actual cost breakdown and realize that the cost didn't meet the quality, they changed the systems that were already existing and it kind of created a market for the niche designer. And um, I would say, I guess, more artisanally made goods. I'm thinking a lot about denim, which is, I know that there's a company that does like um, filled to fashion denim in North Carolina Mm -hmm. and they were pretty successful Mm -hmm. um, at a moment. They were recognized by, I believe the CFDA and they had a flagship in New York city. Um, And so there is sort of like this, silver lining that kind of came out of it. And I'm wondering if you can Mm -hmm. speak to what you see as the future of U.S. made textiles and garment production. Like, how do you see these systems aging throughout the generations? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. When you look at companies like your like you were talking about um, in the denim world, I think that people really do want to see, people really are longing for transparency. And I think if a company can say, hey, we have this fabric, it comes from this place, and we, and then it goes to this factory and it's made by these hands. Hey, look on their Instagram page, their Instagram page, you can see who made your, your, your garment and then you can go buy it in the store or you could go buy it direct from the consumer, which is amazing. I mean, I think online sales have totally shifted actually um, the way that domestic cut and sews can thrive because sometimes what kills, this is just coming from my perspective of having been a maker and, and being making really nice things um, and trying to do wholesale, wholesale can kill you. Like unless you can get a really cheap price, um, you're trying to do wholesale, you have to sell it at half that retail cost to a company and then it goes on to retail. So when you set your prices, you have to set them dangerously low, honestly, unless you're really um, working in a, um, unless you're able to get it out through marketing to a really high end client, which is mm-hmm. not always the case. So I think that wholesale in the past has been a real hindrance to um, companies wanting to do domestic manufacturing because it does cost more. Um, it can be really, it can be nicer made and it can be all those things. But the, at the end of the day, um, if you have to charge so much for it because of that wholesale markup, it can just kill, it can kill you as a company. So I think that online 
um, like the rise of online sales, the rise of online social media campaigns so that, you know, you don't have to pay as much for marketing as you, I mean, marketing is still a huge expense, obviously, but um, it's a little easier to get your word out and you, and people have their own websites. And so it doesn't have to be solely reliant on wholesale like it once was, you know, at, at one point, that's the only way that most people sold product was wholesale that they would sell to a different company. Um, so I feel like that has kind of like opened up the doors for like this partnership between, um, you know, designers, also, you know, smaller companies like Etsy has also been really great for um, just like getting people kind of started, you know, and then if they need to grow, a lot of them will reach out to manufacturers, you know, will reach out to these bigger cut and sews. And so it's kind of creating this dialogue between um, what would be considered a maker to the bigger scale makers. They're also makers, but they're kind of doing it with more people, providing more jobs. And so it can be a really amazing partnership because, you know, working kind of in a vacuum can be really tiring and it's sometimes burnout um, can really get to, you know, someone trying to run a company on their own. So to have those relationships where they can, send a sample, send, you know, some materials and say, hey, could you guys make a hundred of these? You know, it doesn't have to be a thousand. It's not 2000 anymore. Could you make me a hundred and then I have them and I can sell them. And um, it's just so good for, for both parties. And so I do think that, I mean, um, the transparency too of those things is what's really going to fuel um, the industry. And I think that also along with that is kind of people really are looking for sustainable practices just in their life and so textiles obviously is there's a huge textile waste problem in the United States and the rest of the world as well so if we can buy with a smaller carbon footprint which means buying local someone that's something that's made in the Carolinas that's obviously better and then you know buy something that's made well so we can buy less of it um it's a big thing that we try to do and we're kind of getting that out in the world (laughs) like don't just buy more stuff you know, don't just buy something because it's made here, but may, buy something because it's made well and it's providing jobs. So there's some values, um, you know, you're buying with your values a little bit. Right. And kind mm-hmm. of on the subject of sustainability, can you talk about how CTD has been able to sustain their organization and their business and maybe some of the challenges that have arisen in the journey of like creating these, these more humane working and and living wages for people working in the industry as well as designers and makers. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's a, I think it's a great question. I mean, I honestly, it just, I, I have been working with the CTD for one year. It'll be a year, March 1st. (laughs) So I can speak to kind of what I know and what I've seen. And also just conversations that I've had, Um, you know, one of the really exciting aspects of the CTD, I think, is being part of this new school, old school dynamic of, you know, you have a lot of people that are still around from the old textile industry, but you have a lot of young people and a lot of young companies and a lot of dialogue between those two and that shift. And so it can be both really amazing to see that, um, um, that engagement and that, shifting and then also of course full of lots of challenges so um, I think that like I said before too just like changing perceptions of what textile work is 
in the U.S. and especially in the South, mm-hmm. it's huge. And that's kind of the biggest struggle to get over of when we have a meeting, you know, with a mill that's in Massachusetts, let's say. And they're like, oh, there's no designers in the South. And it's like, uh, actually, there's tons of designers <laughs> in the South and there's amazing product. Um, and so it's kind of changing those preconceived notions of, of, of textiles um here and what that can look like and that there's beautiful design coming out of here you know and Mm. um and while denim is huge and popular we're not just denim you know um that was a huge part of our history and and it's an amazing part but it's also there's so many other things that we know how to do um i think in general too we definitely stay true to our word and who we are and as an organization and we will bring that to the table every time. And so and it's it's just about creating dialogue, actually. That's the main goal, I think, of the CTD in general um, within our community, but also out in the world. And in what way can we express to people, hey, let's pay everyone a living wage. Let's have, you know, let's reach out to people in the Spanish-speaking community. Let's reach out to people in communities that might not know about us. You know, let's, like, get... Let's just open up dialogue um, in that way. Let's look at people that are kind of getting a say in the world. That's kind of, I mean, honestly, that's um, a big part of what the organization is trying to do for its workers. And that's maybe more so under the industrial commons umbrella. Um, if you go and look at that, that's at the industrialcommons.org. Um, you'll see we do a lot of work with worker owner worker owner committees trying to kind of create a really strong worker voice within our factories in the area and helping worker owners um, models get started or get information out there in the world. Um, Again, the recycling program is part of the industrial commons. Um, So there's a lot of like different enterprises that are starting under that umbrella and they, but they all have that common core of like helping create a diverse working culture that has some wealth like that's rooted in the region so and that starts from the worker you know it can't just be that the factory owners are making money um it has to be that the worker has a voice and has you know is getting paid what they should be getting paid for this skilled craft you know at one point lots of people could sew you know, it was just, a, it was a skill that you grew up knowing how to do. And it just assumed that you knew how to do it. So you would go work in a factory when you went on a high school. And that was just an easy shift. But it is not that way anymore. I mean, <clears throat> most people don't know how to sew, so they have to be trained. So that's been kind of the, the problem, you know, with these factories, with factories finding work, workers. That's been one of the problems. So it's kind of a retraining of the industry as well. Um, but yeah, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did that answer yeah. that question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did I go around that? I'm not sure. <laughs> went off on a tangent. No, it's perfect. So much. Um, you're sharing so much information and insight. So it's not a tangent. It's worth taking notes. <laughs> Um, and do you all have any new projects or future prospects in the works that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, well, I think I kind of mentioned them already briefly, but one is just kind of working on our classes and our curriculum to kind of get it out there in the world a little bit more. Um, you know, the work that we're doing is amazing 
and we are all very passionate about it and we just want people to know about it you know not just for ourselves and for our for our um our organizations but just to know that they're um that as a worker you're being thought about and that you're being respected and you're being uh, brought into conversations and so you know Honestly, you know, with any business, if you are not getting your word out, you're not doing your marketing, you're not um, reaching a community, then you're just in a vacuum. So right now, that's what we're really trying to focus on is kind of get our message and get our voice out there a little bit more. Um, so we're working on a new website, which is going to have a lot more information about our members. Um, and for our members, actually, there'll be a portal that our members can go in and get all kinds of information. And then also for the client side. So we're working on a website. We're working um, kind of some new some new branding. Actually, some we just got a new logo um, that's not on the, on our current website yet. So there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes as far as just some marketing for the CTD for the Carolina Textile District, and then um, and then the industrial sewing program that I mentioned that we've been working on with the community colleges. I've been spending actually a lot of time. <laughs> on that one and and which is amazing there's so many people that want to know about it they want to take the class they um, want it in their communities so we're really excited to be part of that the CTD uh, purchased the curriculum it was already created um, and we and we organized it and uh, provided the funding for all the machinery um, so we bought all new machines for the class. So those are owned by the CTD now, as well as the curriculum. And then we work with the local manufacturers to kind of get it, um, to get them to chip in and also supply the first round of students. So that it was actually incumbent from all of the manufacturers sent students, either maybe it was somebody that um, that worked in their organization already, that worked in their factory, but was maybe in shipping or was, um, you know, just doing grommets. And so they wanted to train them on the sewing machines. And then some people came in, um, like they went to, you know, one of our partners was like, I really want a job and I don't know how to sew. And so they just, you know, sent them straight to the class. So that was amazing. And so that's just kind of an ongoing, it's going to be moving around to different schools. Um, and we just want to see that kind of grow because we're really excited about that aspect of, of how we can help. Um, I mean, it could, does come down back again to helping our manufacturers and workers, um, helping workers find good jobs, helping manufacturers find good sewers. Um, so that's it's actually really exciting <laughs> mm. uh, just to be part of that kind of educational side um, of, of training. So. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And where can people go on the internet and social media to find out more if they're interested in your services? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, CarolinaTextileDistrict.com, you know, is our main website. Like I said, be on the go look now. And then <laughs> uh, a month from now, we should probably have a new site up so you could go see the new site and the way it shifted and changed. Um, you know, our umbrella organization is also the industrialcommons.org. And you could go there and see all the good work that it's doing. Um, the CTD has a Facebook page and we also have Instagram, but that's another thing that we're kind of working on with this rebranding and redesign so that we can really have more of a, of a face there because it's been, um, you know, not as strong a presence, honestly. We have a lot of people that are, um, 
maybe they just don't spend as much time on Instagram. You know, they're not on Facebook very much because they're kind of busy running factories. <laughs> um, so it's kind of right, that makes how to balance sense. that, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard <laughs> to do all of that. Um, but it's, but we feel like it's kind of vital, you know, moving forward to kind of have um, a presence on in social media and on different campaigns in that way, just to kind of reach out to, to younger people. Honestly, it's, you know, a big shift is what's happening is, and we're seeing it as the textile industry just needs to shift and it needs to open up and kind of uh, start to figure out how to encourage younger people to be part and have a voice. And for sure, you know, social media, um, getting information out there is a great way to do it. So we're kind of working on that right now. Awesome. It's been great talking to you and I really appreciate all of the knowledge that you shared with us. Before you go, oh, no, thank have, you. of course, no problem. So before you go, we have one question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's just coming from, yeah, I think this will be a personal bit of advice, but I would say, you know, as an artist or a weaver, I think we, you know, you put on your headphones and you do your work and that can be amazingly fulfilling to sit down and weave or to sit down in a sewing machine and make something with your hands from scratch. And, um, but I think also working alone kind of in a vacuum over time can um, not be so healthy. So I think it's really important to like reach out if you need help or reach out, you know, like to kind of kind of have some collaborations or, I mean, or even delegation, actually, you know, if that's the case, if you're trying to do a business with your textiles to reach out and say, hey, could you please help me with my emailing or could you please help me because I'm really not good at it and I don't like to do it and I would rather be weaving, you know, I think that that's okay to say that, but maybe you might need help managing your business somewhere else um, to reach out for help. And I think there's a lot of power, you know, and growth in that rather than just thinking we have to wear every hat all the time. I think that's a real um, challenge, you know, for anyone Um, and for creative people, it can be especially hard. So, well, this is from just my own perspective, but um, so I think it's really important just to realize there's a lot of power in, in collaboration. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to mean that you can't do it all. It just means maybe you shouldn't (laughs) do it all. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That's a wrap. If you're interested in finding out more or to support Leanne Hilbert's personal work, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 99. Next week on the podcast, I'll be speaking with Angela Tong, a designer of knitting and weaving patterns, a pottery maker, and a Merrick's Looms brand ambassador. So thank you for tuning in this week and stay tuned for next week's episode. Until next time, happy weaving.